All right, everybody, let's jump into this thing. Um, so we started a series last week called Love Where You Live, and uh, we're talking about that idea. What does it look like to love where we live? How do we love the place that we live, and how do we love well in the places that we live? How do we be people that love well, um, man, in our families, in our communities, in our schools, and the places that we work, uh, amongst our groups of friends, in our actual, like, physical neighborhoods? Like, how do we love well where we live? We're talking about loving our neighbor. Um, and as I said last week, this is an idea that we come back to as a church over and over again, at least once a year, we're gonna come back and refocus on loving our neighbor. It's, it's really important to us because, um, man, Jesus said when he was asked what's the, the greatest commandment or the most important thing, he was being asked to boil down the entire Old Covenant, the Old Testament law into one command. If I'm gonna be a person that spends my life like following God, how, like, what's the most important thing you could tell me, Jesus? And he says, well, it's actually a two-part thing, but it's one command, is love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're just like, hey, man, if Jesus said that's what's most important, um, we're, we're gonna focus on that. We're gonna come back to that. We're gonna remind ourselves of that over and over again because, as I said, we're all in on Jesus. Like, we, are, we, are, we think he's like the best thing going for the world. We, we, we just are utterly devoted to, to Jesus as, as a church, and, and that's what, like, the Christian life is. If you're a follower of Jesus or a Christian, that's what it boils down to. To live the, quote, Christian life means I am completely just committed with every ounce of my being, every part of my life, like every fiber of who I am. I'm, I'm moving in the direction of Jesus. Now, for sure, that doesn't mean we're always gonna get it right. In fact, we blow it all the time, but it's like, it's, it's the posture of the direction that I'm heading in. Like the direction that I'm moving is I wanna be, I wanna have allegiance to Jesus. Um, and so like, if you're a, a Christian, like this is what it's all about. If you're not, if you're here, you're watching, you're like, eh, I'm not sure where I'm at with the whole faith thing. Just know that like everything that we talk about, you get to take a pass on if you don't wanna do it. You're like, I, I don't think I'm, I'm down with the whole Jesus thing, that's fine. But for those of us that say, I'm a follower of Jesus. This is some of the things that it means to, to follow him. In fact, like the good news of Jesus can be summarized in three little words. Jesus is Lord. Like not just that I believe in him or he saves me, like those are true things, but he's like Lord. That means like, all right, even when I don't understand Jesus, whatever you say, like I'm, I'm in on that. And so anyway, we're all in on Jesus, which means we've gotta be all in on loving our neighbors. And the idea of loving our neighbors, I don't know about you, but for me, um, it sounds really great. Like, it, it's something that's like, I get excited about that. We're like, woo, yeah, let's love our neighbors. It sounds great. Until you start thinking about what that might actually involve. And then you're like, ah, I don't know if that sounds as great anymore. Like, the idea of loving our neighbors sounds good um, until we start kind of pressing into what it actually means. What does, that, what does that look like? How do we work that out to love our neighbors? Not with just some kind of like generic love because sometimes there's like a sentimentality and it's like well, let's just love everybody and and everybody be nice to each other and it's kind of you know sing kumbaya and hold hands like that's not what loving your neighbor looks like it's not just like kind of play nice together but what does like the jesus-centered kind of love look like towards our neighbor and we start pushing into that it gets uncomfortable really quick because we're like well, i don't know if i want to do that but we get really excited about loving our neighbor and 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 in a series like this, I mean, again, this is partially just my, my, uh, my personality, my temperament. I get really excited. To me, this is like a rah-rah series. Like, come on, we're going to go love our neighbors. It's going to be great. We're going to do this. Let's do this thing. And I can actually, in my own personal life, start to think, yeah, I'm pretty good at that. I'm pretty good at loving my neighbor. Like, man, you see what I did today? I served somebody. Like, 
I, I gave my time to someone. Like, I was nice. I donated some money. It's like, Jesus says, this is most important. I am good at loving my neighbor. And I kind of pat myself on the back. Maybe that's just me. And I think I'm good at it until I, I start to, like, really look into it. And I realize that when Jesus tells me to love my neighbor, he means that neighbor, too. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that neighbor, it might not actually be your literal neighbor. Okay, it could be. Maybe you got like a neighborhood dispute going on. But you know, like that person, you're like, surely, Jesus, you don't mean them too, do you? And it's just like, I'll take a step back. Maybe I'm not so good at the loving my neighbor thing because I'm good at it until I'm confronted with someone that's really, really hard to love. And we're gonna push into that uncomfortable tension a little bit today. We're gonna look at one of the, I think it's one of the most challenging and difficult teachings of Jesus, partially because like sometimes we don't necessarily understand like the definitions and we'll, we'll push into that a little bit. But more than that, it's just challenging because it's hard. Like this is one of the, the things about if you're a Christian, like we wanna push against this, we wanna like resist this because it's just really hard to do. And so I wanna look at a teaching of Jesus. We're gonna jump in and we're gonna actually be in two different places today. It's the same teaching but recorded um, by two different people. So we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at something that Matthew records and also something that Luke records uh, to get us a, a kind of a fuller picture of what Jesus is saying. And um, it's two, like I said, two instances of the same teaching from two different perspectives. And, and this could have been the same time Jesus taught this and it's just recorded by two different people or this could have been something on different occasions that Jesus taught in different places because chances are when Jesus would show up in a, a village or a community he would come back and teach the same things over and over and over again he would show up and his message was here's what the kingdom of God is like this is what the kingdom of heaven is like and so he would tell stories and parables and then he would also kind of have it looks like this sermon that he would give and the most famous instance of it is in Matthew's gospel, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in Luke's gospel, sometimes it's referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes through this series of statements where he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, you know, X, but I'm telling you Y. You've heard one thing. When he says, you've heard it said, he's talking to his, his first century, primarily Jewish audience. So you've heard it said specifically in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, in the law, in the prophets, um, what our religious teachers had taught us. Jesus said, you, you've heard it said, but now I tell you this. And, and he wasn't contradicting the law or contradicting what we would call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, but he was revealing the heart behind it. He was getting at, okay, you've heard this said, but here is really God's heart behind the law. And he actually, Jesus didn't like lower the standard. He actually raised the bar uh, to say, here is the heart behind this. Well, anytime I get an opportunity to say this, I want to, we, we understand that Jesus came as the fulfillment of the Old Covenant, of the Old Testament. He didn't just drop into history with like no backstory, um, but he's, he's, he comes about out of the story of Israel. He's the fulfillment of that Old Covenant. And so he's coming along and saying, we had the, this old way, but I'm coming to fulfill that. I'm coming to reveal the true heart and nature and character of God. It's within the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus actually says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to get rid of it. Like the old wasn't bad, but I came to fulfill it. I, I've come to, to, to give you a new perspective as to what God really desires. And so he goes to these statements, you've heard it said, but I'm telling you, and we're gonna look at one of them today. 
So the first one, we'll look at Matthew, uh, his account of it first. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 43, says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You, you heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now we, we began to look at that a little bit last week, that love your neighbor part. And that comes straight out of the Old Testament. It comes from the book of Leviticus chapter 19, the second half of verse 18 specifically. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, uh, when he's teaching the greatest command, he pulls that and says, here, this is what's most important. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So you've heard it said to love your neighbor. What's interesting is the hate your enemy part is nowhere to be found in the Old Testament. Like that wasn't something where Jesus was like, oh, I'm pulling, I'm pulling the love your neighbor out of a verse and I'm pulling the hate your enemy out of a verse. It wasn't there. The hate your enemy was something that got added on, that got tacked on through human tradition. There were, there were groups of people who thought that the hate your enemy part was assumed because of what was implied in the rest of the text. And not everybody thought that. Um, there was actually some debate, but there was a, a specific um, kind of uh, a school of religious leaders, uh, some of the Pharisees that, that had had this implication. And so when Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your uh, neighbor and hate your enemy, he's gonna give us a principle that's just true of his kingdom. It was true then and it's also true now. But at the same time, he's speaking into a dialogue that's happening among their kind of life and religious system of the day. But the hate your enemy, it just wasn't there. And we, we can kind of see how they, how they got it. Uh, let's look at Leviticus 19 real quick where we see love your, love your neighbor. So here's what Leviticus 19.18 says. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone, and here's the really important phrase, among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Don't seek revenge, don't bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor. And so my neighbor must just be my people. You know, God didn't say everyone, right? He didn't, he, he said don't hold a grudge or, or you know, hate or, or seek revenge against your people. He didn't say anybody else. It's kind of like that, that technicality. Well, technically, you didn't say what I had to do, so I found a loophole. And so this got taken to mean over the years of like, well, you've got to love your neighbor, and that only is your own people, your fellow, fellow Jews for Jesus' audience, that I only have to love the people who are a part of my tribe or my group. Um, and, and I would love to say that that was something that only they struggled with then, but we don't now, and that would just be a flat-out lie. Like, there's this tendency to want to go, I will love people really, really well as long as they're my people. And so this tradition kind of developed, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And so often that's what happens. We, we'll take uh, human tradition and we'll tack it on to scripture. We'll take human tradition and we'll add it on to following Jesus or faith. And every time we do that, it creates this opportunity for loopholes, for technicalities, for saying, well, technically I don't have to do that because I've worked this other thing in. And that is, is one of the, just the most beautiful things that Jesus does. The beauty and the simplicity of, of Jesus is he eliminates those loopholes. So you've heard it said, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So here's what you've heard. Love is important, but love only goes so far. Love is important, but it stops at the people who are like you. But I'm telling you, no, it extends to even your enemies. Your enemies. What's an enemy? 
I said, you know, sometimes we get kind of messed up on the definitions of trying to figure out what an enemy actually is, and we are like, well, I'm, gonna, I'm going to say that this is what an enemy is, and here's what it means to, to love them, but again, he, he's talking to a specific group of people at a specific time. They, they knew what he meant when he said enemy, and so let, let's get a working definition of an enemy, and an enemy, um, it's not someone who just disagrees with you. We're at this, we're, I feel like we're just at a, such we, a weird time where like more and more, it's like, if you disagree with me, you're my enemy. But I mean, if we were all to have different conversations on different things, we're gonna disagree on a whole lot of stuff. That doesn't mean we're enemies and it doesn't mean I hate you. I mean, it just means you're wrong, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, oh, don't, don't talk about food or sports because you will be my enemy, right? Like we, we've got some differences of opinions. But, but in, in, all, in all honesty, I mean, sometimes there's some significant things about life that we may disagree on, and we may disagree passionately. That's okay. I actually think we're better as people for that. That doesn't mean you're my enemy. It seems like more and more it's like, no, nah, if you don't think just like me, you're my enemy. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, there was a TV show on like in the late 90s into early 2000s called The West Wing, and there's this one episode where they're, they're just fighting. It's a, it's a political TV show, and they're fighting against one another, and at the end of the episode, it's just like, we talk about enemies more than we used to. And they don't resolve that tension. It's just this statement. We talk about enemies a lot more than we used to. It's like, yeah, we do. We talk about, like, we have so many more enemies because if you think differently, you must be my enemy. But that's not what an enemy is in Jesus' context, nor in ours. And so when he said enemy, what did his first century Jewish audience think of? Before we can ever ask, what does a passage of scripture mean to me, we've just got to figure out what does this mean, you know, to the original audience? because it can't mean something to me now that it didn't mean to them then. Like, so what, how, did, how did that audience receive it? It wouldn't matter where Jesus taught this message it, to his Jewish audience, whatever village he went into, they would have thought, oh yeah, this is an enemy. This is an enemy. To them, no matter where they went, they walked out their door and they were a people that were living basically in a militarized zone. They were under Roman occupation 24-7. That they were under the thumb, under the oppression of the Roman Empire. So you go outside and you are guaranteed to see Roman soldiers just marching up and down the road. And so yes, it's an everyday reminder of here's these people that are living in our land. We are under you know, their thumb. We're under their oppression. They've been in our land for decades. They've killed our people. They, they, our taxes are sky high and we have nothing to show for it. That is our enemy. It is this foreign occupying force that would probably rather wipe us out than live here with us because nobody in the Roman Empire wanted to go to the area of Judea. That was like the place was like, oh, nobody wants to go there. And so they're just like, that is our enemy. And, and Sometimes now we can avoid our enemies. You're like, if I got an enemy, I'm just gonna like pretend I don't see them. That wasn't a possibility for these people because again, you open the door and there they are on your streets and they're demanding things from you and there's nothing you can do about it. And you may not have an enemy like that. Um, you may not have an occupying force in your backyard. You should probably like do something about that if you do, like call somebody because that's, that's, not, that's not cool to have just somebody in your backyard like, you do this. I mean, that would, that would scare me a little bit. Um, so you may not have an enemy like that, but, what, but Jesus isn't saying that's all your enemy is. It's this extreme picture of like, even up to that point, that's your enemy, love them. Love them. Love your enemies. Um, an enemy really is anybody in, in your life who might celebrate your failure. That they would, it would bring them joy to see you fall. Like they would, they would celebrate that. They would make your life difficult. Uh, if you actually type it into Google, because this is definitely the best way to find information, is Google definition of enemy. The first definition you'll come up with is um, a person who is actively opposed or hostile. 
someone who is actively opposed or hostile. So you start to think about who's my enemy. Is there anyone in your life who you'd say is actively opposed to me, who is hostile towards me? They're actively opposed to uh, me, uh, my faith, my life, my family, the way I view the world. Someone who is actively opposed or hostile towards, you know, where I want to go in, in life and what I think God has for me. And this person would, would be actively standing against me. That is an enemy. And maybe you're, you're thinking of names or faces right now. Maybe it is an actual neighbor. You have one of those neighborhood disputes. Like some, some of that gets vicious. Some of that gets crazy. If there's like a property dispute or something, like no joke, I've, I've seen this, this I'm not gonna tell you where it is because that wouldn't be nice of me. Like, but like, there, there is a, like a fence dispute among neighbors and someone put up the fence and they really didn't like their neighbors. So on the, the neighbor facing side of the fence, there is just like, like lawn decorations of profanity directed at the neighbor. It's like, okay, yeah, that's probably someone who you would classify in the, the, the enemy kind of category. Uh, and maybe it's a friend who just hurt you, that betrayed your trust. Maybe it's, it's an ex um, who's, it just seemed like they're out to get you. It could be a relationship between a parent and a child. For some reason, a relationship got broken and now there's hostility. It can be a coworker, maybe that person at work that just seems like they're always out to get you. And it's just like, they, they, like, they try to get you in trouble. They steal your like, credit for the things that you do. It could be, and, and you, this, I use this example a lot, but I think it's a very weak area of discipleship in our lives. Um, it, it could be someone who you consider to be your political opposite. And again, there's a difference between disagreement and actual hostility. It could be someone from a different faith. And again, there's a difference between disagreement and actual hostility. Just because someone has a different life or disagrees with you does not mean they're necessarily, host necessarily hostile towards you, although some definitely would be. But an enemy is someone who is actively like, if I have the opportunity, I would like to take you out. I would like to see you fail. And Jesus says, don't hate them. If you're my follower, you're, you're not allowed to. You have to love them. And when we say, you know, don't hate your enemy, but love your enemy, it, it almost feels like we get kind of pigeonholed or backed into a corner, like we have two really, really bad options. That the option number one would be, what do I do with an enemy, is retaliate. And that seems to be the option that is so, it's, it's celebrated, it's accepted, that's what the world says to do. Hey, if someone, like if they do something to hurt you, you have every right to hurt them back. That's okay, you should do that. In fact, you're looked at really strangely if you don't retaliate, or the other option seems to be just don't do anything. You just kind of, this is, it is what it is. They're my enemy. And so it's like, it's, it's passivity. It's either I retaliate or I'm just passive. And those seem to be the two options that were available in Jesus' day as well. On the retaliation side, there was a group of people who were known as the zealots. And, and their response to the Roman Empire was, we will, we will rid ourselves of the Roman oppression and we will do it by force. We will use violence and force to throw off our oppressors. So the zealots would go around and they would have like daggers hidden in their cloaks and just in public, you know, they'd go by a little uh, a Roman uh, soldier or an official and it's like, and they just keep on walking. They just stab him, you know, a little, and, and then just, and then the, the person would just drop dead right there and people would scatter. And like that was, that was the zealots. Like this is how we will respond to our enemy. And violence always just begets more violence. Like there is a myth that we believe in, this myth of redemptive violence, that if only, if the good people are the ones that use violence, everything will be okay. But ultimately what happens is you have retaliation and you have more violence and you have more hatred. And so that's how Rome would respond. It's like, okay, zealots, you wanna do this thing? How about we round up some Jewish men and crucify them in public and leave them hanging there? And that will end your little insurrection. 
And so it's like we have that option and then there were many who were a part of like Jesus day that was like, well, this is just our reality. So let's just let's just try to avoid the enemy. Let's just keep our, you know, keep our heads down, keep our noses clean and just and it feels like we get kind of pushed into that same category. Like which which one of those do we do? But but Jesus offers a radically different alternative, a, a third way. It's not either or. It's not like, well, uh, which, which one of those buckets do I put Jesus into? Is he like the passive type or is he the retaliation type? And, and which direction do I follow him, uh, follow him in? And you're like, he's like, no, 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 you've got the wrong idea. It's neither. I want you to love your enemies, but love is not a passive thing. We kind of get tripped up because we only have one word for love. Um, and, and it's like an int- intense feeling of, of emotion, like, a, like just a passionate affection towards something. And we use the word love to cover a lot of different uh, bases. You know, I can say, I, I love barbecue, I love the Steelers, uh, I love Christy, and I love my kids. All of those things are true. And if you're gonna leave the church right now because I said I love the Steelers, well, you know, again, we can disagree and you can be wrong, but no, all of those things are true. But those are very different kinds of love, would we agree? I mean, my, my wife and kids would really hope we agree that those are different kinds of love. I mean, I am passionate about barbecue, but I don't love it like that. And, and so in Jesus' day, like the, the, that this is written in Greek, there's different words that communicate different kinds of love. There's a, like a brotherly kind of love, and there's a familial love, and, and there's a romantic love, and there's a love that, that applies to followers of Jesus. The idea that's being communicated here is this agape kind of love, which isn't a feeling but a choice. It's not an emotion, but it's a will. It's a, I am choosing and I am willing to love another person. I'm almost like forcing myself to do it, not because I want to, but this is what the Jesus kind of love requires of me. It's that kind of love. It's actually the kind of love that that Christ has displayed towards us. I'm going to actively love you. That that we we actively love those who are actively opposed to us. If an enemy is someone who is actively uh, opposed or hostile towards you, the Jesus brand of love says, I will actively love those that are actively against me. I will be for those who are actively against me. It's, it's loving enemies moves in a, in a positive direction. It's not enough just to not hate them back. And Jesus is like, well, yeah, you shouldn't hate them back and you shouldn't retaliate, but that's like, that, that's, that's the starting point. That's not the end. It, it, it's more than just saying, you're my enemy and you hate me, but I, I won't, I'll just kind of ignore you. I won't be a jerk to you. Jesus is like, no, 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 it's got to go further than that. You actively love those who are opposed to you. He continues in verse 45 and says, here's why you do that, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, that, that God and his love, his mercy, his grace, he's like, he's indiscriminate. There's these things called common graces that every single person on the planet just enjoys regardless of who they are or what they believe, that the sun comes up, the rains fall, like there's, like there's a rhythm to life, there's the opportunity for human flourishing and that's just like, it doesn't matter who you are, the sun is gonna come up, the rains are gonna fall, those things are gonna happen, that, that, that God is good towards people and he says, you're, you're children of your father in heaven, right? And so you should look like your father in heaven that whenever you love your enemy, you're reflecting the love of God, that there's a direct connection between enemy love and godliness, that it it has more to do with our identity of who we are than the effectiveness of loving my enemy. Because loving our enemies is not like effective, it's not an effective thing to do. 
It's not like, if I love my enemy, good things will, you know, come about. It's like, well, no, that, that's, that's not really it. That's not the point. I mean, good things might happen. Like, my love towards my enemy might actually do something in their heart where their life is changed, but that's not the point. I don't love my enemy so I can change them, but more so, so they won't change me. So I won't become someone I'm not because I'm a child of God. I'm a part of his kingdom, and so I want to live that way. He continues, continues and says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And the tax collectors were uh, like the worst of the worst in their society. And so he's like, think of the, like the worst possible person you can think of. Even they love people that love them back. Uh, you're, you're, not, you're not doing anything, anything more. And if you greet only your own people, there's the idea again, your own people. You know, there's the misunderstanding that came out of that verse of Leviticus of like, you know, uh, don't retaliate against anyone among your people. He says, if you greet only your own people, and the idea of greet, it's not just like passing someone on the street, like, oh, hey, bro, what's up? It's like, it's an embrace. It's a, I'm, I'm welcoming you into my life. We, I'm getting into like just the, the, the nitty gritty of life with you. I'm, 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 I'm bringing you into my circle. We're gonna share life together. I have uh, uh, compassion towards you. Like it, it's more than just hi. It's entering into relationship with. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Now that would have been just like a major insult to Jesus' Jewish audience because the pagans were any of the people around them. You had the Jewish people, they, they worshiped one God, they, they worshiped Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, and everybody else around them, all the foreign peoples and the surrounding nations, they, they had a bunch of different gods. They had household gods and regional gods and national gods. And the Jewish people were like, no, we, we worship the one true God. And Jesus was like, yeah, but you look just like everybody else. Like you, the, the minute you think, oh, look how good we are. We, we, we worship the right God. And he's like, yeah, but you're, you're doing exactly what the pagans do. That would have been such a slap in the face. Because none, none of the other pagan gods valued their enemies. Like there was no pagan god that said you should love your enemies. They all said, no, well, you want to smite your enemies. You want to destroy your enemies. You want to wipe them off the face of the planet. Like kill your enemies. And that's still what our gods today want to tell us. Like, we, we, we have various gods that we follow after. It's career, success, or money, or it's, uh, you know, politics. It's my happiness or my desire. It's uh, sometimes the gods are good things, like our families can become gods, success, what, whatever it is. We have all these different things that we orient our lives around, and none of them will tell us to love our enemies because usually loving your enemy gets in the way of pursuit of whatever those gods are. Like, Jesus is... No, no other religion embodies or commands enemy love, just Jesus. It is a uniquely Jesus thing. And so it's like, man, if, if, if you're a Christian, me and you, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, if we're not willing to love our enemies, Jesus' words to us are, you're not really different than anybody else. Not really different than anybody else. And so the Jesus way is different. Now is when I want to jump over to Luke's gospel real quick because it, he gives us some handles for how to get a hold of this, some, some kind of practical things. So Luke chapter six, recording these same ideas, but Luke fleshes it out a little bit more. He says, but to you who are listening, this is Jesus speaking again, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. These are all active things. Again, he's like, it's not enough just to not retaliate. It's not enough to just be indifferent towards them, but I want you to do good towards them. I want you to bless them. 
I want you to pray for them. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. <coughs> oh, man, I'm going to die up here today. <coughs> I don't know what just happened, what came over me. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Now, that's not an invitation to get slapped again. That's not like, I, I, I appreciate you slapping me on the cheek. Do you want to hit me here too? That, that's not what that is. It's not an invitation to get, to get walked on. It's not, it's not an invitation to, like, to, to be abused, but it's a refusal to retaliate in like kind. It's like resolutely standing and saying, even, like, I don't want you, I, don't, I prefer you not slap me again, okay? I'm not going to celebrate that. Thanks, Paul. I'm not going to celebrate that. But if my choices are getting slapped again or retaliating, I'm going to choose to get slapped again. Like I'm not going to respond in like kind. And he continues and says, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. And again, it's not about passively being robbed, but it's about uh, meeting someone with compassion and, and seeing someone's humanity because if someone takes your coat, your outer garment, it's like, well, man, I, 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 I would wish you wouldn't have taken my coat, but since you took my coat, you must have needed my coat. Do you need my shirt too? Do you have a need that I can meet? Give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, all of the things that, that Jesus is highlighting, like the, the negative behaviors, right? If I were to retaliate, if I were to demand something back, if I were to like chase you down and be like, give me my coat, punk. Like all of that is what's natural and normal. Like this is the natural way of being human. Like nobody would bat an eye if you did that. Like nobody, if someone just walks up to you and slaps you across the face, no one is going to go crazy if you retaliate. No one's going to be like, how dare you? Like anybody who saw it would be like, no, like you were, you were well within your rights to do that. If somebody robs you no, and you, you, like, you want to find them and get your stuff back and see them punished or like chase them down yourself, no one is going to be like, well, that's not a very good thing to do. I mean, it's the normal and natural thing to do that when, when someone, we have an enemy, when someone is actively hostile or opposed to us, it's normal to retaliate in like kind. It's normal. It's the natural thing to do. It's human nature. It's how the majority of the world operates. And that's fine. But Jesus' point here is you're called to something greater. The Sermon on the Mount is, is like Jesus' kingdom manifesto. It's him announcing, you know, the kingdom is here. I'm, I'm bringing the kingdom of God, and here is what my kingdom looks like. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we've been invited into that kingdom as opposed to the kingdom of the world around us. And so it's like, there's the normal, natural way to operate. He's like, but, but if you're part of my kingdom, if you're one of my followers, you're called to something different. You're called to a different way of life. And he kind of points out what that different way of life is in the next section. And he repeats a phrase um, just before we get here. He, he talks about sinners. Like, aren't even sinners doing that? Uh, and it's not like sinners, like we're all sinners, because that's true. We all screw up. We've all got our issues. We all got our problems. Um, and this isn't like, so if you're following Jesus, you won't have that anymore. But when he uses the word sinners here, it's the differentiation between people who recognize that. Like, you recognize, okay, I've got some issues, I've got some things I need to work on versus those that are like, now I'm not following Jesus and he's making no difference in my life. And so he says, you love those who love you. What credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And so, so you're like, man, I love people, great. Like, I, I know God wants me to love people and I'm doing that, wonderful, I'm loving people. Ooh, but wait, it's only the people who are just like me. 
He says, and he says, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. So I'm, I actively love people. I'm not just loving people with my words, but I'm like, I'm serving and I'm helping people out and I'm doing what I can. And then you start to think about it, but it's like, oh, but I kind of only do that for my family or my friends or maybe my church family. But it's people who could or would do good back to me. And if you lend to those who, from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be re- repaid in full. So it's like, I'm generous to people. But is it only to people who could or would pay me back if given the opportunity? Like, as an example, you, you, could, you could lend to me or you could give me a gift. Like, Pastor Phil, I just want to give you a gift, but I could or would pay you back. And even if you're like, no, I don't expect you to pay me back. I, like, I, I just want you to have this, this gift. And even if I say, okay, I won't pay you back, still the nature of our relationship, the dynamic of our relationship says, even if it's a gift, and even if you don't expect me to pay you back, and even if I'm not going to pay you back, by the nature of our relationship, I could and I would pay you back if that's what the situation called for. But the question is, do I do that towards someone that the nature of our relationship isn't that way. That would take what I gave them with a smile on their face and walk away while cussing at me under their breath. Would I give towards them? He says, but love your enemies. There it is again. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great. You'll be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So Luke says, be merciful as your father is merciful. Matthew, when he wraps his account up, uses a different word. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, that's kind of rough because perfection doesn't quite seem attainable. (laughs) Be perfect. That's your homework this week, you guys. Be perfect. Let me know how you did. And no lying about how you did because that wouldn't be perfect, now would it? Be perfect, and it's not, it's not this idea of like you'll never screw up, and it's not, it's not actually even moral perfection. The word is teleos, and a better like English translation would actually be mature or complete. Be complete, be mature. That, that in the, like the discipleship journey of I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm following after Jesus, one of the, like the primary markers of maturity is how well am I loving my enemies? Like, a, a primary marker, like, I mean, enemy love as opposed to other things, as opposed to church attendance or, you know, Bible study or prayer or belting out worship songs at the top of my lungs in my car, all of those things can be great, they can be useful, they can help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. But they're not, like, the, the, the goal. They're not the target. They're not, the, they're not this, like, flashing sign that says, hey, you're moving in the right direction. They may help to get you there. But enemy love is an indicator of something, a transformation that is actually happening in your heart. I mean, that, that, I think that should bother us. It bothers me to think about that for a second. If I, if maturity in Christ is measured by how well you love your enemies, how mature are you? I'm like, okay, my, my, I'm, I'm a pastor and I've been doing this for a while and this is great and I stand up here every week, but if I'm honestly asking the question, if how mature I am in Jesus is measured by how well I love my enemies, how mature am I? I think the answer is, it depends on the day, <laughs> depends on the week, 
And it's not like a, a condemning kind of thing, but it's just like, all right, before I think that I'm like, look how good I am. It's like, yeah, but do I love people that are really, not just hard to love, and again, that not just disagree with me, but people, if, if they would just celebrate my downfall, am I still able to love them? We, uh, we're talking about loving where we live, and, and here's the reality. We, we can't do that if we only love the people who are like us. I don't, I don't know where you live um, exactly. Some of you I do. That should bother you. <laughs> um, but no matter where we find ourselves, no matter where we live, if we want to love where we live, it means we've got to love our enemies and the people that may disagree with us because not everyone is like you. And not everyone likes you. Not everyone is like you and not everyone likes you. There are people all around us that we would disagree with, but more than disagreement, that might even be our enemies. And if we're gonna love where we live, we have to love them as well because if not, we're just loving part of where we live. And if we only love the people who are just like us, that we would call our neighbors as opposed to our enemies. This is something that I heard a while ago and I was like, oh, that is so true. If I only love the people who are like me, I don't know that I really love other people. I just kind of love me. If I only love you, if you are like me, do I actually love you or do I like the reflection of myself that I see in you? And so Jesus is like, hey, you gotta love, the, you gotta love those enemies. It's difficult. It is hard. You love your neighbor as yourself, yes, but also love your enemy as your neighbor. You love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemy as your neighbor I don't just want to leave us there. We are wrapping up. Um, but I want to give us maybe some, some handles for this um, to get our heads around this this week and to, to work on this. So here's, here's what I want us to do, a little bit of homework. I want you to take the time this week to identify your enemies. Um, identify your enemies. And again, not just someone who disagrees with you. Uh, there's, a, there's a freeing thing in knowing, hey, disagreement doesn't mean enemy. I may actually have a lot less enemies than I thought I had, which is a great thing. Um, you still have to love them even if you disagree with them. But I, I want you to, to, to list out, I want you to write it down so that you actually see it because sometimes it's hard to do something until I make that connection of like that, that tangible, I see a name or I see a group of people, whoever you think this person or these people are actively opposed or hostile towards me. I'm gonna put that down on a piece of paper. I'm gonna identify them. Um, and then once I see that, I'm gonna take the words of Jesus seriously and I want to love them. Or pray for them. And that, that may be a process because depending on where, man, where you're at and someone who's your enemy, there can be some serious hurt. There can be some serious trauma and I, I don't want to like gloss over that. And so that prayer, it may, it may begin as God and then you just say their name. Like, and that might be it. God, their name, amen. Like that, that might be as far as you can get for a while. And then it, it may go a little bit farther than that. God, I pray so-and-so has a, has a nice day today. And then the next thing may be like, God, um, I, I, if, if you're not too busy, could you do something nice for them? Right? I, mean, like, I mean, it might just be these little things, but eventually to where you get to a point where Jesus says, you pray for your enemy, bless them. God, this person has hurt me and, and, and they are hostile towards me, but I want them to experience your blessing in their life. I want them to know you. I want, I want them to experience your love and your grace. Pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. And that may, that may be a process that takes, that may take years, but it's moving in that direction. Again, to hopefully, I mean, maybe, maybe God will change them, but more so, so he continues to change us. Pray for them, do good to them. 
Find ways to actively do good for those who are your enemy. Some of your enemies may be close by. Again, maybe it's that coworker. Maybe it's that neighbor. Maybe it is whatever. Like anytime there's a moment, it's big or small, I have an opportunity to do something good. Do it. And, and it's going to be hard. You're going to have to force it. It's like, oh, I've got to do it. I, gotta, I can't, I can't, I can't. And it's just like kick yourself in the butt and make yourself do it because something happens in your heart. Serve them if you have an opportunity. Say something nice to them in passing. And then you're like, it might, it might feel like it takes everything in you. You're like, I like your shirt. Okay, that was enough. Like that's, that might be all you can muster. But we're training ourselves. I'm going to do good towards this person uh, and then be generous towards them. Or pray for them, do good to them, be generous towards them. Be generous with our words, be generous with our time, be generous with our finances if, uh, if that is what is required. To train ourselves to love our enemy. Ultimately, it's a posture shift that says, I'm going to do good for them because I want good for them. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna do good toward them because I want good for them. And that, and that takes a long time to honestly to get to that point, to go from I'm just doing this to I actually honestly want this for them. And it is difficult. It is hard. And those are some practical things to do, but honestly, if all we do is just practical steps, if we just try to do that ourselves, to say, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna will myself to love my enemies, we're gonna fail miserably at that. Like, we might be able to do it for a day. Like, I love my enemy today, and tomorrow I completely forget about it, and I blow it. Because with our, our natural efforts, we end up with natural results. And the natural result, the natural thing to do with an enemy is to hate them, to retaliate. With our natural efforts, we end up with what Jesus said, hey, even the pagans are doing that. Everybody does that. And so this, this takes something more than natural. And the definition of something more than natural is something that is supernatural. If we try to do this with outside of the power and the grace of God, we cannot love our enemies. And so in addition to doing those practical things and those kind of homework steps, just begin, begin praying, God, I, I need your power. I need the Holy Spirit to empower me to do this. I cannot love this person out of my own strength. I need you to love them through me. And then, then, I think we'll start to see some actual change. God is working through me. He's empowering me. I'm not doing this on my own, and I'm taking these practical steps. And slowly but surely, our hearts will begin to change towards those who are enemies. That is huge in loving where we live. Let's pray together. God, I thank you. Um, for, the, for, for what this is rooted in, the, the, the anchor of this is that, that while we were still your enemies, while we were considered enemies of God, while we were hostile towards you, you loved us anyway. And it wasn't, it wasn't a love that was just words uh, or thoughts, but it was, it was actively. You actively moved in our direction. You were actively for us. You, you, you have done something for us, even though it cost you everything. Jesus, we thank you that through that sacrifice, through your death and resurrection, that we are uh, invited into your kingdom, that you call us your sons and daughters. I mean, we're, we're, we're just, th that through that, we, we are empowered to live as kingdom people. And so I pray that you would allow us to do that. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, that you would fill us, that you would invade our lives. And so that as we encounter those who are our enemies, that we could love them well. I pray this in Jesus' name.